Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the show. We're going to have a little hodgepodge of uh, topics tonight. A little bit. Well, no, that's not different at all, is it? I want to talk about Ronda Rousey, but I want to do it in a way that you haven't heard before. I guarantee you've never heard about a career retrospective comparing Ronda Rousey to Ty Cobb. I am not a certified, but I should be a certified Ty Cobb historian. And there are some amazing parallels between these amazing athletes' careers, and I'd like to go over that. What else we got? I, I got an important message from the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Some horrifying facts about lobsters, why vapors are our own worst enemy. And I want to tell you about a remarkable film that I highly recommend called Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers. Before I do any of that, this is the second week in a row. And uh, I just, I'm just lucky that Dimitri was on, is on vacation and he's kind enough to let me use his time spot. And uh, for the second week in a row, I've been become unexpectedly uh, busy on a Tuesday. Uh, last week was a barbecue. Everyone was saying last week, you know, ah, I hope you have a good time with her, Russ. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's actually what it was yesterday. Not the week before, but that's what it was. I'll tell you what. Met this dame of the weekend. Got a number. She called me back. So this isn't going to be, you know. Listen, this chick's crazy. And I've made the mistake enough times in the past. I'm not getting I'm not getting involved with a crazy chick. But there is a rule that I think exists that is worth following. And that is... Uh, you can stick your dick in crazy once. If you really if you want to roll the dice, you can do it twice. Once you do it three times, you're in some dangerous, dangerous territory. So I ain't I ain't calling again. And that's just fine. But the reason why I'm bringing it up at all and the not safe for work always applies on this immediately, you know. I'm about to get graphic. So this is really um, like a public service announcement for, it's for everybody, but f more than, it's really for the, for the women that watch, uh, the, the women that listen, who are uh, sexually active. And um, what I, you know, I got, I got head, right? Which is great, man. I feel like a hundred bucks today, I'll tell you what. So I got head, but that's not that interesting. What I want to tell all of you female um, listeners is this was, uh, it was basically the best blowjob I've ever had in my life. One of them, at least. It's, I mean, it's top five. No, no, you know, easy. And what made it so good was that the, the, the technique, which, you know, Listen, you, you guys, God bless the, 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 the women out there who will give blowjobs. I know, you know, some hate it. And listen, I don't even blame you. Uh, it's nasty. I wouldn't do it. But for those of you that do, let me give you a little piece of advice that will keep your partners really, really happy. Now, I, it, th th this, happened, this happened to me once before, but it was so long I almost forgot about it. And when, when it happened, it, it, it shot me back like uh, 15 years to me 
you know, sneaking into the study lounge when I was in uh, college and, and, and I got some, some good head. And this, it was the same thing. It brought me right back there. This was a, a nostalgic blowjob. Now, what this, what this chick did yesterday, and it seems pretty simple. I'm not saying, yeah, God bless if you're willing to do this. You know, I'm a nice guy. When I'm about to pop, I let the girl know. Because, uh, you know, unless you, you got experience or, or you've had the conversation, which is unlikely, not every girl wants to swallow. So I give a heads up, you know. I don't mind if they don't want to swallow. That's vile. That's nasty. But some will. Some, some will do it. Now, so when I did that, as soon as I said, I'm going to come, what she did was with my dick in her mouth, she applied a, an extreme amount of suction. Like it, it was clear, like it was uh, just, just without moving her mouth, just sucking as hard as she fucking could. And let me tell you, she drained my fucking balls. Oh my God. It was like a fucking evacuation. Holy shit. I bet you there's nothing left in there today still. I don't even know. I mean, it was, it was true. Just, just after that, I mean, you are, you are just on this plane. You're in this, you're, you're floating, floating in space with empty balls. What an effort. What an effort. Thank you so much. And that's, I mean, listen, if you're going to, if you're going to take it, if, if you're going to swallow, you might as well do it like that because the amount of pleasure that you can give to a man just by applying extreme suction right as or right before or whatever, as the man is ejaculating, um, that's what you want. That's what you want. You want to make your partner happy. That's what you do. And, yeah, I guess with that, let's start the show. Tell you what, I feel like a million bucks today. I really do. It's amazing how how that works, you know. You know, blowjob lasts ten minutes. You're floating for a half hour after that, but the, the, the twenty four hours later, look at me. Look at me. Boy, do I feel good. It's amazing, isn't it? The effect would probably be a little bit less if I got that sort of thing more often, but not on me. I'm on cloud nine. All right, so what do I do first? 
Let's uh, let's just do this uh, silliness first. I have an important message for you from the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Uh, who even knew there was a National Hot Dog and Sausage Council? But there is, and they got a website and everything. Hot-dog.org. I went to hotdog.org, and well, they didn't think to get that one, but they got hot-dog.org. So, you know, it's summertime, barbecue time, and they give some uh, hot dog etiquette advice, which I almost exclusively agree with just, with, with just about everything that they got here. This hot dog council takes a really, um, a, a, a really balanced and, and, uh, and, and thoughtful approach to eating hot dogs. They give you some do's and don'ts. Here they are. Don't put hot dog toppings between the hot dog and the bun. Always dress the dog, not the, not the bun. Condiments should be applied in the following order. Wet condiments like mustard and chili are applied first, followed by chunky condiments like relish, onions, and sauerkraut, followed by shredded cheese, spices, celery, salt, pepper, etc. That's good advice. Do serve Sesame seed, poppy seed, and plain buns with hot dogs. Sun-dried tomato or basil buns are considered gauche with Franks. And you know what? I agree with that 100%. Yeah, plain, forget even about you. Poppy seeds. Just plain, plain buns. Plain bun is all you need. And as far as sun-dried tomato anything, fuck that shit. I'm against it. I'm against sun-dried tomatoes. For, just period. Those things are nasty. Don't use a cloth napkin to wipe your mouth when eating a hot dog. Paper is always preferable. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Paper towels, my uh, my choice of uh, of napkin for a hot dog. Do eat hot dog buns with your hands. Utensils should not touch hot dogs on buns. I agree with this. I would take it a step further. If you are at a barbecue and you see somebody eating a hot dog on a bun. With a fork and knife, you should just punch him in the face. Period. Don't take more than five bites to finish a hot dog. For a foot-long wiener, seven bites are acceptable. Eh, I don't feel too strongly about that. But whatever it takes for you to get the hot dog done. Doesn't, I don't really care about that. Don't leave bits of bun on your plate. Eat it all. I'm okay with that. Or, or don't, if you're not going to, just, just chuck it right in the garbage. That's what I say. Don't uh, put fresh herbs on the same plate with hot dogs to overdo the presentation. Yeah, there's no need for, for herbs. Agreed with that. Now, here is a, uh, here's, here's the, the one I feel probably the, mo the, the most strong. Do not use ketchup on your hot dog after the age of 18. Mustard, relish, onion, cheese, and chili are acceptable. Now, I think they just forgot to say sauerkraut because I don't think that anybody who knows their ass from their elbow about hot dogs is going to disagree with sauerkraut. Sauerkraut is the king of condiments for hot dog, for hot dog. And me, simple, plain bun, hot dog, well done. Put a little uh, spicy mustard. I will use the plain French's mustard under protest but I prefer a, you know, like a spicy brown mustard. 
give it a good little coating on that. And then some nice hot sauerkraut. That's that's it for me. Listen, I think relish is for assholes, but I'm, I'm okay with it. You want to do those little chopped onions? That's fine. I would do. I would. I would put on the little the the, the finely chopped onions if there was no sauerkraut available. I would do that. Uh, cheese is fine um, for a barbecue. I don't know. I mean, if you want to go to a hot dog place that, that that's got the you know the special melted cheese and all that, and that's okay. But for 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 backyard barbecue, don't fuck around with the cheese. Cheese is for hamburgers. But their 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 initial point. Do not use ketchup on your hot dog after the age of 18. I could not agree more strongly with this. Listen, for children, it's fine. Okay? You want to put you want to put uh, ketchup on a hot dog. The, the, the kid they need the kids need something a little sweet. That that's what it is. That's why they're doing it. That's why they put fucking ketchup on everything. You want to put now for a, for a, for a hamburger, cheeseburger, ketchup is fine. You want to use ketchup and mustard together? That's not for me, but that's okay, too. For a hot dog, no ketchup. No. Ketchup is for children on a hot dog. I say, well done, National Hot Dog and Sausage Alliance, or whoever the fuck you are. Uh, do condiments remaining on the fingers after, after eating a hot dog should be licked away, not washed? Yeah. Licked away or wiped on a paper towel, whatever. It's fine. Well, honestly, I'm not a good, you know. Washing your hands is really never a bad idea. So uh, th th that one, listen, you got to wash your, just fucking use the hose, whatever. Do use multicolored toothpicks to serve cocktail wieners. Cocktail forks are in poor taste. I don't know what a cocktail fork is. Is that like, is that like those little, uh, I know when you go to Nathan's, when you go to Nathan's and you get, um, you get the fries and the, the, the fries are, big and greasy and you can get them with cheese and they give you these neat little uh really small red forks and i like that i really like that for uh for whatchamacallit for messy fries that's nice <laughs> i'm not against the spork either um but why do i have to use multicolored toothpicks to serve cocktail wieners can't i just get the regular i, I got the regular toothpicks already I don't know. I don't know where they're coming from on that one. Okay. Do uh, do not send a thank you note following a hot dog barbecue. It would not be in keeping with the unpretentious nature of hot dogs. I don't know who they're talking to with that. I don't I don't know people sending a thank you note after a, a barbecue, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Don't bring wine to a hot dog barbecue. Listen, well, first of all, see, these, these guys, they're, they're a little... Uh, they're a little self-absorbed self here, all right? Listen, there is no such thing as a hot dog barbecue. Nobody ever does a hot that does a barbecue get-together, and there's only hot dogs. You got hot dogs, and you got hamburgers. Or you can just have hamburgers with no hot dogs, but you can't have hot dogs without hamburgers, all right? Listen, hot dogs aren't for everybody. Everybody knows how what's in those things, and if you don't want to eat one, I don't blame you. But... You can't just have hot dogs at a barbecue. It's like you can't just have fish at a barbecue. Nothing wrong with barbecue and a fish or having fish available at a barbecue or whatever, you know. Hey, grilling up some uh, lobster tails on the barbecue, that's nice too. That's a little fancy, but hey, that's okay. Hey, nobody going nobody gonna to complain about that. 
but you can't just have hot dogs at a barbecue. It doesn't exist. But speaking to their point, don't bring wine to a hot dog barbecue. Just make it don't bring wine to a barbecue. All right? You want you come to a barbecue, you bring beer. Preferably a large amount of cheap American beer that's really cold. You don't. It's, they're right. You don't bring wine to a barbecue. That's for assholes. Uh, beer, soda, lemonade, and iced tea are, are preferable. Agreed. And their their final point is uh, don't ever think there's a wrong time to serve hot dogs. There are many. <laughs> there are many. So I, I just, now, now I'm going through this in detail, realizing that the... the Listen, there are plenty of wrong times to serve a hot dog, okay? There's never a wrong time to throw a barbecue, but there are plenty of times where you should not serve a hot dog, and if you don't understand what they are, well, you're not going to learn now anyway. So that that's from the, uh, from the National Hot Dog and uh, Sausage Council. That's who they are. And just so you know that I'm not making it up, there it is. Mostly doing some good work there, guys. Okay. And, uh, okay, another quick... Uh, let's just do all the food stuff, and then we'll get to Ronda route. Mm -hmm. We'll do all the food stuff, okay? Then we'll do the Vapors stuff. And then we'll do Ronda Rousey and Ty Cobb. How about we do it like that? Okay, so... Uh, I've lost it. My horrifying facts about lobsters. Oh, okay, here I got it. So, listen, this is uh, this is just about uh, this is really lobster sociology, is what it is. Because I always knew lobsters, just like just like most of the bottom feeding sea rodents out there, they, they're nasty looking creatures that happen to be delicious. Now, I just I don't even know how I came across this, but this is actually from National Geographic. This is listen, I'm going to read this. If I didn't tell you where it was from, you would think it would—it was from the Onion or some uh, satire website or something like that. No, this is really from National Geographic. They, these, you know, the most respected magazine for uh, popular, you know, popular science and culture, whatever. It's these guys are the real deal. So let me uh, let me read to you. I won't read the whole thing, but most of it. A lot of it um, concentrates on the mating habits of lobster, which I never knew anything about. Let's cut to the chase and talk mating. What does it take for a male lobster to score? You have to be a boxing champion. Lobsters hate each other and fight over everything all the time. But males in particular duel constantly to establish dominance. They're always fighting over the best shelter. Usually... In a particular neighborhood, one male establishes himself as, you know, the alpha male, the local ogre, the dominant one. And once his status is secured, he enforces it. Every night, he goes out and he beats up all the other lobsters in the neighborhood and kicks them out of their houses just to remind them who's in charge. What a dick. He's already got the best, uh, the best house on the block, but he just goes around and he fucks up the other lobsters for good measure. Now, the females apparently find this, uh, this abuse particularly arousing. Boy, that sounds familiar. 
uh, the female, they love it, and they become very interested in the dominant alpha male. They all know where each other live. They they like it. Okay. Uh, females will regularly go and visit the entrance to the alpha male shelter after he's been beating up all of the other lesser male lobsters. They follow him home, and they perform a variety of courtship rituals. Now, now here's what's interesting. In just about every other species, I understand the whole, you know, establishing do dominance over the other males. You know, they, they want to get a good house and, the, 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 you know, the whole thing. That all makes sense. But in every other species that I'm, avail that I'm aware of, you know, they're really doing that to get pussy. That is the goal. The goal is to become the top dog so you get all the tail, right? But it turns out the male lobsters, they don't give a fuck. They, do, they just don't care about getting laid. They just want to be mean assholes. Listen to this. So, so the female lobster, it follows them home, and then, it, and then it's on her to perform these courtship rituals. The problem is the male alpha, the alpha male lobster, is so belligerent, he's not even interested in romance. He just wants to beat up male lobsters. He doesn't want to be bothered with fucking. So the females have to conjole him into a romantic mood. Now, how do they do this? Essentially, by drugging him into submission. When lobsters flight and when they flirt, in both cases, they communicate with each other basically by pissing in each other's faces. Listen, I'm adding a little bit of color to this article, but that last sentence was word for word. This is National Geographic. I don't, I don't recall them using that kind of language. My dad used to subscribe. You know, I, when I was a kid, I tried sneaking away with one of those. Try to, I tried to jerk off to the pictures of the, of the, the women, you know, the African women with the titties down to the knees. It, it didn't work. I mean, I was horny. I could, I could jerk off the, I could jerk off the Gilligan's Island, but the, the National Geographic never, never did it for me. Uh, all right. So anyway, the, when they fight, they, they, they piss in each other's faces. They have these little urine release nozzles right under their eyes, and they squirt urine at each other. You know, God has a has a funny sense of humor. The way he designed these lobsters. I think he was drunk that day. We'll get into that a little bit more. About, uh... The urine is laced with various kinds of information. In a fight, it could be a communication of how aggressive or belligerent or dominant a lobster is. The females, in this case of mating, go to the dominant male lobster shelter entrance and squirt their pheromone-laced urine into his shelter. This relaxes the alpha male and reduces his aggression. He starts to swoon a little bit. He fans these little flippers under his tail to spread the urine around his apartment and savor its aroma. I've seen that on the internet, but the, uh, the, the, the females do this a few times while they're over to visit. He gradually becomes used to them. Females do a few other little courtship rituals and do some dances and other stuff like that. Gradually, one of them 
one of the, the females, will get bold enough to push her way into his lair. He will by then be subdued enough to let this happen. Now she has to take her clothes off in order to mate. Female lobsters only mate right after they shed their shell. So by moving in with him, they're getting protection from this dominant male in their most vulnerable moment. Well, that makes sense. So they shed their shell, and this beautiful copulatory event occurs. The details are probably too racy for nationalgeographic.com. Well, that hasn't stopped you until now. Why wouldn't you go into that? Now, now, I'm, now I'm curious. Now i got to go on the Internet and try to find videos of lobsters having sex. This is something I should have prepared before the show. I apologize, audience. I will have that. Perhaps I will have that for you in the replay notes. I, I need to see this. Uh, then they have this bond for about 10 days to two weeks. She lives with him into her shell hardens up again, and then she moves out. That's it. It's done. Sounds like the male's getting off pretty easy there. Except the thing is, there's a new female waiting on the doorstep. So all of the females of the lobster neighborhood create this sisterhood, and they take turns mating with that one dominant male. So what's going on here is this the dominant male, he just wants to fucking kick ass to be a dick. He's not even doing it. To get pussy, you got to drug the guy to get him to fuck. But lo and behold, not only does he get a lot of pussy, he gets all the lobster pussy. He gets them all. Nobody else except that one gets any kind of action. Uh, the scientists I write about came up with a name for this. It's also evidenced in other kinds of creatures. It's called serial monogamy. Unfortunately, the beta males in the neighborhood don't get any action. That's not really serial monogamy. I don't know. Sounds like National Geographic has kind of lowered their standards with their writers, their writers lately. But still, this is still good stuff. Um, oh, and then now we're going to get into Mary Tyler Moore and Rush Limbaugh somehow. So uh, the, 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 this is kind of like an interview, a back-and-forth interview. Could you share the story about the time Mary Tyler Moore fell for a buff 65-year-old male lobster named Spike? Yes, Mary Tyler Moore and the love of her life, Spike. This apparently occurred in a seafood restaurant in Malibu, California. There was a tank with a big old lobster named Spike. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was somewhat upset by the prospect of this venerable lobster being stuck in this tank. She offered to, you know, this is interesting to me. It was my um, understanding, and I guess I'm wrong. It was my understanding that once a lobster was in captivity, it wouldn't eat anymore. In other words, like whatever kind of food you'd give it, once it was in the tank, it wouldn't eat. That was my understanding. There's no way a lobster can live for 65 years without eating. But it's also my, my uh, understanding that the one thing a lobster will eat when he's in a tank is other lobsters. They literally become cannibals. 
which is why you know they got the they don't just have the uh, the rubber bands on the on the claws to protect the uh, humans that go in and grab them. Uh, they do that to protect the, the lobsters from each other. So I don't know what they're feeding this spike for sixty five years, but or maybe they caught you know you they're they they're in the wild, you know they they found lobsters up to a hundred years old in the wild. So maybe maybe he just wasn't there that long. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I need to find out more about Spike the Lobster. I don't understand why this doesn't. This these kind of things don't occur to me when I'm initially reading. Anyway, um, so uh, Mary Tyler Moore was upset by the prospect of this old lobster being stuck in the tank. She offered to buy Spike for a thousand dollars, so she could fly him to Maine and release him. The restaurant owner refused to sell Spike, having grown quite attached to him. Rush Limbaugh, the talk radio show host, heard about this and offered $2,000 for Spike, but he was going to eat him. Now, Rush Limbaugh probably didn't realize that even lobstermen who love eating lobster would protect a lobster like Spike and not eat it. Because lobstermen protect the big old lobsters, those are the ones that repopulate the lobster stock. Not that Spike's doing that in this box over here, but Mary Tyler Moore continued her crusade and joined up with PETA, the uh people for the ethical treatment of animals, to protest lobster eating. They have a little mascot and a motto which says, being boiled hurts. Unfortunately, their mascot is red, which suggests he's already been boiled, but that's a minor detail. I, I honestly have no idea what I just read. That, and then uh, to, to, to the, I did actually check up a little more on Spike now that I re remember and uh, see, this article was 10 years ago. Uh, it was actually 11 years ago, so Spike would be 76 today, which is very possible. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to Spike. It was difficult to find out. Yeah, I think one of the most uh, striking things was to realize uh, about the lobster mating habits is that uh, they're able to, the lobsters are able to recognize each other as individuals. This was discovered through a series of experiments involving a lobster boxing ring. This is something else we need video of. Anyway, scientists in uh, Massachusetts created a small lobster boxing tank for fighting matches. They would put... The, <laughs> this is fantastic. They would put two equally matched lobsters, how they know, I don't know. But they, they put two lobsters in the tank together and record the fight sequence of the blows exchanged. The researchers would score points for each lobster and determine which lobster won. They did this also with the lobsters blindfolded. They make these little plastic blindfolds for the lobsters to see whether or not the lobsters were using their eyes. When they restaged the match between the same lobster, the lobster that had lost against the previous opponent always backed down immediately. Somehow, somehow, this lobster was recognizing the other lobster. He knows he's going to lose, so he backs down. He becomes submissive. It wasn't just that the loser lobster had become a sissy. When matched with a new lobster, he would fight ferociously. So he was recognizing that previous lobster. They blindfolded him, and it didn't make a difference. So we get back to this pissing in each other's faces thing. The scientist uh, catheterized the lobster with little two tubes attached to his face and collected urine during combat. It turned out that without the urine in the water, the lobsters couldn't recognize each other. 
With this individual odor signaling going on, the lobster could recognize the winning lobster for up to a week. Then after a week, they'd have to restage the fight again to decide anew who the winner was. The fact that lobsters were recognizing each other as individuals based upon their urine odor signatures during combat was probably uh, one of the more striking pieces of information while I was uh, writing this book. I, uh, okay, what else? Is there anything interesting in here? Uh, not so much. No, this isn't interesting. No, no, no. What is a robo-lobster? Okay, I just skipped like 500 words. Uh, what is a robo-lobster? There is a lab at MIT that is funded by the Pentagon. Where's the Pentagon finding money for a robot lobster? Okay. I know the answer to that. So there's a lab at MIT funded by the Pentagon where they build underwater robots. These things are now being used as AUVs, autonomous underwater vehicles. They were used in Iraq as minesweepers. They have minds of their own. They go out and do reconnaissance without instructions and then come back and report in. So the scientists at the same lab teamed up with the scientists who were doing the smelling-slash-urine-releasing lobster experiments to design a computer version of a lobster to test their theory of the odor tracking underwater. They built this thing with wheels. It was about the size of a lobster. had little detectors on it, like a lobster nose. The first uh, robot lobster was a qualified success. Uh, you know, this is not as interesting as I... Okay, so they got robot. This is uh, stupid. So um, there was another thing. There was one more thing I wanted to do about the lobsters. Ah, oh, boy. You know, it's not. It's not that interesting. It's just that they. Uh, if I can uh, just go from memory. Well, you know they piss through their eyes. You know that by now. They got their, their stomach, I think their stomach is in their head. Uh, they smell with their leg, they smell with their, their, their feet, I think. I don't know, they're just, God got drunk one day and made lobsters. That's, that's what happened. And he forgot, and he forgot to tell the one thing that God did with every other animal. He always had a strong mechanism in the mail to make them want to fuck. I mean, there's no the reason why humans are the most dominant species on the planet. One of the biggest reasons is because we can they can mate humans can mate 24 7, 365, and the males are horny as fuck. They will fuck up their entire lives just to get a good piece of ass. Not with the lobsters. Male lobster just wants to fuck shit up. Could give a shit about fucking. If you left it up to the male, there'd never be any more lobsters. And that is, I guess, just some drunk evolution. But it all worked out. They seem to be doing okay. Hmm. Okay, uh, next thing. And then we'll go on to some vaping topics. Not that, And believe me, I'm, I'm not under any, uh, any illusion that anybody listens to the show for vaping topics at all anymore. It's the least popular shit I cover. I was at a, I was I was at the bar over the weekend, and you know how sometimes you're at a bar they got on the on the TV, they just got uh you know the the the, the TCM I think is the channel Turner Classic Movies, 
whatever. The, it's the old movie channel, you know? They're just playing old movies. And usually it's, you know, old, you know, Humphrey Bogart, James Dean, whatever the fuck else they play, right? So this time I look up and I'm looking at this, uh, looking at this movie. And it's just, you know, fortunately, most of, uh, at least in the beginning of the movie, they're, they're, uh, they're in Spain, so there's subtitles, which is good because I, I wouldn't have known what, what was going on and wouldn't have been so interested in this movie if it wasn't for the subtitles. Basically, it's about, it's, it's not so much about garlic as it's about the cult, the people who make up this cult around garlic, which I didn't even know existed. And they go to this, uh, well, they're in Spain and they're talking to people in all walks of life and they're just fanatical about garlic. Then they go to California and they got these uh, these people, they're not hippies. This, this movie was shot, excuse me. So the movie came out in 1980. So it was probably shot, you know, in the late, late it was shot in the late seventies, right? And they got, the, 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 there's a garlic convention. It's like a, you know, you, you, you probably, you know, a, a, a regular person who just looks at our vaping conventions and expos and meetups and all that, they probably think that's pretty weird. So when I was looking at this, I was like trying to, you know, keep an open mind because we do that and that looks weird. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. And uh, these people love garlic. They, they, they treat garlic like a god. More or less. I mean, it is, garlic is everything to these people. They got t-shirts, they got stands, they're making food, they got, uh, you know, cookbooks, they got, they got one guy, he's selling pet garlic. He's got a, the pet. it's like a pet rock, but it's garlic. It's a whole thing. They love the garlic. So even the, even the, the, the title of this movie is ridiculous. Garlic is as good as 10 mothers. Who would? It just it doesn't even make any sense. Um, some of the things in this movie do make a lot of sense. Like there, there are known therapeutic um, health. Your, your garlic is good for you. Uh, that that that's a that's a that's a medical fact. You know, no no, no nobody's going to dispute that. But the amount of garlic these people are eating at the now you go to a you go to a restaurant you get a, a dish and it's got garlic in it whatever it's going to have some garlic. These people. They put so much garlic in. There's this one restaurant. They got a dish where they basically take garlic and they, they kind of, they, they take the bulb and they peel it, but they don't peel it like into individual cloves. They just kind of peel the garlic skin back so that they can season the uh, the, the cloves, but it, it, it's semi-intact in, in, in the bulb. It, it kind of almost resembles like a blooming onion. Have you ever gone to, you know, uh, TGI Fridays or something like that? So they got that, and then they, they they take the bulb, and they season it with oil and some uh, cheese, probably some spices. I wasn't paying that close attention. And then they cook that, and these people, they eat the bulbs. They eat the, the, the whole bulb. They're eating, like, a, a portion is like three bulbs of garlic. There are people in this movie that swear by garlic they're eating nine bulbs a day i don't know how many cloves there are in a bowl there's got to be at least a dozen right they're eating upward of a hundred cloves of garlic a day so i ask you 
What do you think smells worse? Walking around a garlic convention or walking around a vape convention? I would guess the vape convention smells worse because vapors are just so filthy with their personal hygiene and they vape nasty shit and they're just, uh, they're just gross. So, you know, garlic people just smell like garlic. But that stuff really does flush your, your pores. So anyway, here, here, here's an interesting thing. I found they got these, uh, I mean, the, the movie is just so ridiculous. It's so over the top. But at the same time, it's really beautiful. You know, I, 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 I watched it at the bar. Now in the bar, they got no sound on, like I said. So I was excited to learn more about it and actually get the movie so I could watch it with the sound, which I'm glad I did because this movie is um, it's very visual, but there is also so much um, really interesting audio, not in the people talking, but just um, there's a lot of music, um, a lot of uh, bands that are uh, garlic bands, like people who get together to form a band because of their mutual love of garlic. And uh, some of them happen to be some really, really good uh, musicians, particularly um, when they were in Spain. And um, it was just the kind of music I'm not really exposed to that much, and it was quite good. They got this one guy. Oh, I should have pulled that audio, but it, you really need the visual with it, too. This guy, he's like the garlic priest, the garlic guru. Like this, <laughs> you got just watching this guy cook. It's like a violent, he looks, you know that watching this guy, this high priest of garlic, Watching him cook, you know he is happier cooking and eating garlic than at any other time in his life. This, this whole life is garlic. But when he's doing it, he's yelling. He's crazy. Give me that. He's throwing shit around. It's a, it's a, really a marvel to watch this guy. But then he's in this garlic band, too. And his instrument, he basically plays a plank of wood. It's literally like a, um, I don't know, probably about six inches wide five feet long, maybe an inch, maybe even less than an inch high, right? And he just, he's got this piece of wood on his lap. And I was watching in the, in the, in the movie with no sound. And I'm watching him just playing this piece of wood. And I don't know what it sounds. I'm like, what, what kind of sound could this guy make on a piece of wood? But I watched the movie. He's really good. <laughs> I mean, he's really, really good. He is, he's the best wood plank player I've ever seen, I guess. So anyway, it's a highly, and, and, and then there will be other parts of the movie where there's no sound at all except for, for example, somebody uh, taking garlic in a mortar and pestle and crushing it up. And all you hear is squish, 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 squish. And that'll be the only thing that's happening for five minutes. But somehow this movie really draws you in. Now, it is a short movie. It's 45 minutes. So get this. Like I said, the movie came out in 1980. They put it out in some film festivals. Nobody saw the fucking thing, you know. But for some reason, like, I think it was in 2004, so like 25 years, decades later, somebody in our government decided that this film should be preserved literally forever in the Library of Congress. I think it was just like some guy who works for the Library of Congress, who was really into garlic. Because now this movie will literally be preserved forever, or, you know, until the end of the U.S. government, which, <laughs> who knows when that's going to happen. But So, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what that means when the Library of Congress preserves something forever. But 
I don't know. I found it on the Pirate Bay. So you can definitely, if you know how to use torrents, you can find this on the Pirate Bay. I really recommend it. Um, and I, I found some very, a very interesting. See, they got these clips, right, of people talking about garlic. I'm going to play uh, a couple of them. And then I think, um, I think garlic aficionados, garlic connoisseurs and gourmands actually almost invented the electronic cigarette. Let me let me just play a couple of other um, quotes. This is a this is a guy talking about peeling garlic. Now he's going to mention in this clip instant garlic. What he means by instant garlic is um, you know powder garlic, you know, like you get in a in a pizza place to so sprinkle on your pizza or whatever. Which uh, at the time, 1980, was actually a fairly new thing, I guess. So you know, obviously the garlic crazy people they don't like it. So anyway, he, he's talking about that here. If, if you're only going to peel a couple of cloves of garlic, it doesn't matter how you peel them, but if you're going to have to peel like 40 cloves of garlic for 40 clove chicken, or if you're going to make... A, oh, of, of course, for 40 clove chicken. We all know that recipe. A lot of garlic bread, and you need a lot of garlic. Uh, the faster methods of peeling garlic are definitely superior. Um, I mean, once you get into this, you can peel garlic fast enough that you don't need to use instant garlic. I mean, instant garlic isn't really an issue anymore because this is as fast as needs it needs to be and it feels good to do it that's that's the part that's a little hard to talk about without sounding like a hippie dipshit <laughs> and then they got this other guy where just randomly throughout the movie he'll just come in with this like super serious you know news announcer voice and give these Odd and seemingly urgent garlic facts. Eleanor Roosevelt, to keep her memories sharp, ate three cloves of garlic a day dipped in chocolate. Okay, so that, that's, that's throughout the whole movie. Now listen to this one. I guarantee you have never heard of garlic vapor before. I mean, that's probably, you know, probably some assholes probably make try to make uh, garlic e-liquid, but... The, the, the garlic people, they were on the verge of creating an electronic cigarette in the late 1970s. Listen to this. In the 1930s, scientists discovered that garlic vapor produced a full-spectrum light, much like sunlight, when excited by electric current. Oh, I'm sorry. It was in the 1930s. Can you imagine if this research was taken more seriously? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it would have led to an electronic cigarette, you know, by 1950. How about that? Garlic vapor. Okay, so somehow you've been listening to this broadcast. It's 1010. You've been here over an hour and I haven't said a goddamn thing about vaping. So let's say a few things about vaping. First of all, um, I reported erroneously in the past that, uh, I think I said by now, I would have some uh, big news. I'm talking above the fold, old gray lady type shit about five pawns. And that is coming. And I can, uh, it was my fault, by the way. 
that I didn't have the uh, the right date, but now I got it. No later than Tuesday, August 18th. Might be before, but it won't be after. I promise you that by Tuesday, August 18th, I will have some Five Pawns news that will knock your fucking socks off. Stay tuned. Um, and it might be before, like I said. That's not in my control. So um, what's been happening lately is more and more companies every week, we see companies coming out, making public statements that they are reformulating their e-liquids to remove diacetyl and acetylpropanol. I saw the Bombies did it. This Mr. Good Vape did it. There's another one I, I think I missed. They're coming out of the woodwork now. And you know why this is? It is because um, it's, 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 the, it's the consumers. It really is. Um, listen, granted, I'm not saying that some of these, uh, you know, some of these uh, manufacturers of the, you know, some of them have been doing it for a long time. And they genuinely do care. And I'm not, you know, really speculating too much into the motives on any particular company why they do this. But in general, the reason why you're seeing this, at this point it's a full-fledged movement, is because consumers are demanding it. That I mean, that's it. And that's all thanks to you guys. You know, I could talk about this until I'm blue in the face. Unless you guys as consumers really demand this and are vocal about it, this would have never happened. Um, so here's another, you know, just a couple, and, and I don't see all of these, but I see most of them. So, um, Bombies, Bombies is, uh, I've never tried it. It seems to be very popular on, uh, on Reddit and then the Mr. Good Vape. So there's, there's companies and, and, you know, like I said, that's the one email I, I never get tired of hearing. People keep doing this, send it my way. I want to. I want to speak positively. I want to. I want to. I want to thank these companies for for doing this, and they're doing it. Good for you guys. Um, I saw a really interesting article, and this is, uh, you know, my take on this is that vapors are our own worst enemy. the The title of the article, which you've probably seen, is uh, um, sometimes the e cigarette industry is its worst enemy and i'll certainly share that link with you guys now i agree with a lot this is a uk based uh i guess it's some company that sells e-cigs e-cigs plaza i never heard of them before but it's a well-written piece here and i'd like to share some of it with you here uh some of it i really agree with some of them i don't um there are a lot of great e-cig vendors to choose from offering an amazing array of high quality gear and delicious liquids and then there are some idiots please don't buy from idiots. All right. You got my attention. Sometimes I'm really proud of what my fellow vapors can achieve. When ordinary people manage to get an audience with politicians or stand up at a NHS, that's their health people, uh, conference, it's like their FDA kind of conference, and make hundreds of health professionals listen to them. I think it's amazing how motivated and talented that they are. It's moments like that that I really believe we can make a difference and get electronic cigarettes accepted as what they are. The best way to quit smoking that anyone's ever discovered. Who wrote this? This person's a good writer. Hmm, doesn't say. 
Um, but in other times, but other times, I think vapors can be our own worst enemies. It's really not helpful when some clown when some clown blows massive clouds in a public space. Yes, the vapor's harmless. We know that, but not everybody does, and some people can get quite upset by it. When people are deliberately belching out as much vapor as they can just for the sake of it, that makes things much harder for the advocates who are trying to defend our right to vape normally in public. The same goes for people who argue with business owners over vaping bans. Yes, we know vaping indoors isn't actually illegal, well, it is some places, but we know it isn't doing any harm, but it's their business. You follow their rules or you leave. That's the way the world works. I'm on board with all this. What's worse than ignorant vapors, however, is stupid vendors. The guy blowing clouds on the bus might be an idiot, but he isn't an idiot with a marketing budget. Vendors do have a marketing budget, so if they're making stupid decisions, they're also paying to expose those decisions to as many people as possible, including all those tobacco control nuts who are trying to get e-cigarettes banned. I'm on board. Let's not forget that vaping has a little bit of an image problem. It's unfair, it's wrong, and it's driven by dishonest people with an agenda. But it exists and we need to cope with it. When the industry is being accused of marketing to children, is it really a good idea to put cartoon characters on your liquid labels? Maybe not. Not. Definitely not. There are some cartoons that are clearly aimed at an adult audience, but teddy bears? Even worse is the company giving away free charms, free little toys with every bottle of liquid. Because who likes to collect charms and string them on a bracelet? Yeah, kids. Not just kids, obviously, and I don't for a minute think this particular vendor is targeting the preteen market, but it's stupid anyway. So I'm on board with all that. And Kevin actually talked, I don't know if this guy or girl, whoever wrote this, oh, his name's Fergus. That's it, Fergus. Okay. Anyway, I, I don't know Fergus and Kevin. Kevin talked about a company doing this on his last show, and uh, it was like Fluffy Clouds Vapor, and they actually do give those little... Uh, they give little baby, little, little tiny toys away. And uh, like, you know, when you were a kid, you used to have those vending machines you used to beg your mom to give you a quarter for, and you turned it, and it came out with like a little pop-top bottle, little pop-top thingy, and the, uh, they got a little shitty toy in it, you know? You never, and it, and it was so annoying because you, you, they, they fucking got you because you know you want, you want that, that one awesome toy, but you don't really know which one you get. Anyway, so anyway, the, the, this this company, Fluffy Clouds, is doing that. I called them today, actually. But it was like uh, the, the number on their website. Just to ask them about it. I doubt they'll call me back. It was just, I left a message. But if they call me back, I'll, I'll I'll let you know next week. So anyway, maybe they're talking about that same thing. But then here's where... I don't know. I just don't see the issue in what Fergus is talking about next. He's talking about a mod called the Gang Mod. Which is... Uh, well, you'll, you'll see when I when I share the link, you'll see a picture of it. That's the picture you see. It's uh, the, the, Then there's the gang mod. This is a 60-watt box mod with a fancy custom case for uh, $249. Now, what it is is what it looks like is brass knuckles. Now, unless I'm reading directly from it. Unless you live in New York, Missouri, California, or 24 other U.S. states, of course, because in those states it's banned, you can't buy it. Um, now, because it's an e-cig, 
not because it's an e-cig, because it's also a knuckle duster. I have never heard that term before. I know brass knuckles. Maybe in the UK they call it a knuckle duster. Seriously? You're making an item that's already a bit controversial, so just for chuckles you decide to make it double as an offensive weapon? Idiocy. Um, I don't have an issue with this at all. Listen, I went to their website, these people that make the gang mod, and I wouldn't buy from them just based on the fact that I'm just looking at them, and yeah, I'm judging a book by their cover. Um, they look like idiots. They look like, uh, I, I just don't want to give them my money, you know? Not that I'm not interested in, in getting a device like this, but I have no problem with that, with making an electronic cigarette that, that can double as a self-defense weapon. Why not? Listen, I'm not even saying this one would be effective. I don't know how heavy it is or anything. Um, it doesn't really appeal to me the way that it looks, but um, there's clearly some craftsmanship and clearly quite a bit of attention to detail on how this thing looks, and it might be attractive to somebody. And you'll probably never use it as a weapon, but why not? Why not have that? I think it's just that, you know, I don't know this Fergus, but I think it's just that in the UK, their government and their culture has really just browbeat the general public into thinking that, you know, it's just not acceptable for a citizen to defend themselves uh, with any kind of a weapon. Obviously, you can't get a gun. Knives are all illegal. You know, not, I mean, you can have a kitchen knife, but you can't carry it around on the street with it. Like, you you know, they really make it as hard as possible for let regular law-abiding citizens to defend themselves. And I and I don't know why the country has embraced it so, so much because it hasn't done a goddamn thing for violent crime. Violent crime has gone up since these bans. Anyway, it seems like most of the people in the UK are okay with this. It really blows my mind. It's a shame. But I think that's kind of where it comes from. What's wrong with that? I mean, that's clearly not a... I mean, you can't market. I mean, in an, if an electronic cigarette, here, let me just post this link so you can see what this thing looks like. Um, if an electronic cigarette is in and of itself a weapon, I mean, by definition, that you, you can't market that to a, to, to a child. You can't market weapons to children. You can't do that. So I don't, I don't give a shit about that i don't know i think you're way off base there i think it's a great idea i think it's great i, I would like to see a e-cigarette with a built-in stun gun in it i love it hmm. the prospect of that going off in your pants though is a little frightening anyway uh they go on to say you won't find any cartoon characters free charms or variable voltage brass knuckles on e-cig plaza that's because e-cig plaza aren't stupid there are plenty of other vendors who are stupid, too. When you're buying vape gear, make sure you get it from a non-stupid vendor. I like this guy. Uh, then maybe uh, those other idiots will get the message that whatever they think they're doing, they're actually setting themselves up as vaping's worst enemies. I'll tell you what. I want to get, get a hold of this guy. Really good writer. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of a writer just puts his name down as Fergus, but I am impressed with you. Sir, even if I don't agree with everything that you said. I thought that was quite good. Okay. So did I get did I get through everything I wanted to? I think so. Let's talk about Ronda Rousey and Ty Cobb. Let me just uh g give me a second to uh I just need a glass of water. Stand by.
All right, let's talk, Rhonda. Uh, unless you're living under a rock, um, even if you're not a fan of a UFC or of a competitive mixed martial arts, Ronda Rousey is a household name at this point. Even if you've never seen a fight, you know who she is. You might not know that she is the greatest fighter to ever live, male, female, or otherwise. She is the best of all time. A lot of people uh, compare Ronda Rousey to Mike Tyson. Uh, it's not a good comparison. It really isn't. Um, if you look at Ronda Rousey's fighting career, now, granted, she hasn't been fighting as long as Tyson. But if you look, uh, it turns out she fight. She started her mixed martial arts career uh, basically five years ago to the day, August 6, 2010. Defeated her opponent with an armbar, uh, 23 seconds. Next next opponent, armbar, 57 seconds. Next opponent, armbar, 24 seconds. That's her. That was her amateur career. Then she went uh, into as a pro. As a professional, her debut was in March of 2011. Armbar, 25 seconds. Next opponent. Armbar, 49 seconds. Next opponent, um, armbar, first round. Doesn't say how many seconds. Uh, next opponent, armbar, first round, dislocated opponent's elbow. Uh, next, uh, Misha Tate, armbar, first round. Next uh, and then I guess that's when she won the title. Next opponent, armbar, 54 seconds. It, it, it just keeps going. There's only one opponent who has ever faced her, who has made it out of the first round. No one has ever beat her. And before this, she was a um, an am amateur uh, judo, uh, judoka, uh, competed in the Olympics, won a medal for the United States. Uh, she also has a silver medal in the World Championships of Judo, gold medal in the Pan American Games, gold medal in the Pan American Judo, two gold medals, and a silver and the bronze in the Pan American Judo Championships. Now, when she was doing the Judo, which she started training for when she was uh, 11, all the way up through her run into the 2008 Olympics, where, like I said, she won a medal for the United States, the first ever human being to win a medal in judo for the United States. You know what you get for that? When she won when she won in when she won a medal in the Olympics, you get 10 grand and a medal. That's it. So after that, she just started I think she was a bartender after that, you know? And um also struggled with the, uh, you know, father died and uh he was suicide. And uh, we're going to get into some parallels with Ty Cobb in a minute. But the, the, like I said, this comparison to Mike Tyson, you heard about all that. L let's just go back into Mike Tyson once he turned pro. First fight, a minute 47. Second fight, 52 seconds. Okay, that was pretty quick. So, uh, third fight, minute four. Fourth fight, 39 seconds. But then, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Third fight went into the fourth round. Uh, fifth fight went to the second round. Sixth fight went to the third round. 
Then he had a few uh, first-round knockouts. And then, you know, this is still before he's a champion. He's, he's Some of the fights are going into the second, fifth, sixth round. You know? So it's not a fair comparison. I mean, Rousey is dismantling people in 14 seconds. Tyson sometimes, you know, he needs a half an hour. So the comparison is not a fair one. Ronda Rousey is far far more of a dominant fighter than Mike Tyson ever was. And he and he was arguably the most dominant boxer in the history of the sport. Fact of the matter is there is no human female uh at, at her weight class that can defeat Ronda Rousey. I know everyone's talking about this fight that should happen between her and Chris Cyborg. What what you guys uh, what you know what? I don't understand in all these articles. They, they they hype this fight as like something that should be something that happens. Chris Cyborg is not in the UFC. Okay? She's in this other wacky league that allows their fighters to use steroids. This is like, it's like a rogue league. More or less. One thing, you know, like or hate UFC, what they're doing. Um, They have really done a lot for the sport of mixed martial arts. And they've done a lot as far as safety is concerned. They take steroids very safe, but very seriously. I'm not saying the sport's totally clean, but I think it's more clean than, than, than boxing or certainly these other mixed martial arts leagues, whatever they are. I mean, this woman, you, you look at, you Google a picture of Chris Cyborg. I mean, she looks like a man. I mean, she's obviously, she's got more testosterone in her veins than I do. There's no doubt about it. So there's no reason why there should be a fight between these two. Would it be a good fight? Yes, but you you know, you're talking about a 135-pound fighter and I don't know, Cyborg's it looks like she's at least 150 or more. Uh there's no reason for Rousey to to risk fighting a, a, a freak, basically, a freak of nature. Um especially that she's not in the UFC. It's 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 that simple. If this Cyborg, this fucking freak of nature, a freak of science is really what she is. If she wants to clean up not use steroids, and make weight. Rousey has said repeatedly, she'll fight her. But, you know, why would she go outside of her own association, UFC, that's treated her so well to fight a cheater? There's no upside to it. It's stupid. She is the number one fighter in the world, male, male or other, male, female, done. she is the number one in the world, she should not do something stupid like that. Cyborg wants to make weight and stop taking dope. Fine. So the we we don't have much left. I don't I, I don't think we have much left uh, for Ronda Rousey as as a fighter. She could she could fight for ten more years and never never lose a fight. But it's um I, I don't want to say it's boring because it's not. It's always exciting. Um, there's a lot of people who are saying, you know, 14 seconds, 34 seconds. I mean, if you blink, you miss it, you know? She's that good. Like, like people, you know, the, the top fighters in the league can can barely last 30 seconds with her, you know? So there's there's no one. The only credible opponent that could, that could face Rousey is someone who's already lost to her twice, Misha Tate. So I really don't see her career as a fighter, continuing for more than two fights. If the UFC was smart, they would put some other somebody who's not Misha Tate 
against Rousey next. And then after that, Misha take because that's after that that's it. There's just no there's no point unless there's some up and coming amateur, you know, because the whole division it's done. She's decimated everybody. There is nobody who can even come close to providing a serious challenge. You know, this woman has been trained in judo since she was eleven. She has a, she has this mastery of of gravity is really what it is that nobody can even come close to matching the arm bar that she uses. Nobody else really uses that. You know, it's, it's, I, I believe it's the least common submission hold. I mean, if you have the opportunity, yeah, you go for it, but that's her main, that's her main weapon. And lately she's just, she's been knocking people to fuck out too. This last, this last fight and doing, you know, there's no submission. She just fucking knocked her, cleaned her clock. You know what you should, uh, if you watch, and this just, you know, everyone talks about her um, her judo skills, which are truly world-class. But um, if you watch the replay of that fight, which you can find in a GIF form, in a 30-second, 30, 30 34-second GIF, if you watch very carefully, this just speaks to her striking ability. That punch that she landed on Carrera's um, temple... Uh, which was, I believe, a, a right hook, which uh, probably did not that, that probably did knock her unconscious. People think that's what that was the last punch she threw, but it wasn't. If you watch, and you may need slow motion to really catch this, when she lands that right cross on her temple, as she's going down, which is of course happening very quickly, uh, approximately nine point eight meters per second squared is how fast she's fallen. When she lands that 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 fuck those knuckles on her temple, as her head is going down, she gets um, it's not exactly a hammer fist, but a, a nice a nice other shot with her left as as it's falling. If you if you blink, you miss it. It's so fast. That's how good her hands are. Keep in mind when she started in MMA, she couldn't punch for shit. She didn't need to either. You know, just judo, you know, judo fucking trip or, or flip her to the ground, get the arm and break it. But, um, and now she's a world-class world striker. I mean, it's not even, she's not even a well-rounded fighter. She is the best fighter in every single category. In conditioning, in striking, maybe not kicking, maybe not kicking, but certainly in grappling, in submission, she's... She's the best in everything. I don't. Uh, I do not profess to be an expert on mixed martial arts. I am not. I am certainly a, a fan, and Ronda Rousey has um, probably made me more of a fan of uh, of the sport than than any other competitor. And and oh, just to finish what I was saying before, the reason why I don't think that. She, that there's more than two fights left with Rousey's because A, there's no one left to beat her or even pose any kind of credible challenge to her. And two, she just so happens to be gorgeous, right? So she's already been in several movies and TV. You know, what what what's she going to she, do? She, you got to go through all this rigorous training and put yourself even, you know, even though I think that nobody could challenge her, she's still taking hits, you know? 
um, it's not good for the body. Why do that when she can make more money going to movies and, and, and stuff like that? Why would she continue doing this? She's proved the point. Now go 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 do the movies. Go get get paid. Now really get paid. So I don't know. I don't think uh two fights max, I think. That's what I'm saying. Maybe one. If if she fights Misha Tate next, unless there's someone else who's up and coming who's who's any good, there's no one else to fight. It's stupid. It's it's kind of a shame. And it's not that all of these other women are not good. They are. It's just that Rousey is that much better. Literally, the, the most dominant fighter the world has ever seen. Maybe you could go back to ancient Greece and there, there may be some, some gladiators out there that were more ferocious, but you, you won't find a more dominant boxer. You know, maybe Chavez. Maybe. That's about it. So I like to compare, you know, what I do know. Like I said, I'm not a huge MMA expert. So if, if you wanted to provide a, an argument to anything about that, I, I'd welcome it. I am a baseball expert. And uh, furthermore, I'm a, Ty, I'm a Ty Cobb historian. Um, his career fascinates me uh, because um, th there's some parallels with, with Rousey's career here. Um, he did so much with so little. You know, he decided to, much to the um, chagrin of his father, who was a doctor, his, his father wanted Ty Cobb to be a doctor as well. Ty Cobb wanted to play baseball, and his father really, really um, came down on him and, and highly disapproved of that decision. Just before he started his professional career in baseball, um, his father did not die by... Uh, suicide but rather by homicide um his mother actually killed his father uh the details are murky um it may have been uh the, the best evidence says that uh ty cobb's father suspected his mother of having an affair and was sneaking around the house to try to look in to see if that was indeed happening and the story goes that his father was uh shot in the chest with a shotgun by his mother because she thought he was a prowler. Uh, there's another story that says that his mother did not pull the trigger, and in fact it was um, a male suitor who she was having an affair with. Nobody really knows. Um, but he was his death was indeed a homicide. So Ty Cobb never had the opportunity to show his father that he did make the right decision, and he did. Uh, there is no, you know, the, the success he had as a baseball player is, was simply not attainable as a physician. So he had this um, chip on his shoulder, which I think is uh, similar to what Ronda Rousey has in that her father died when she was very young from suicide, and she's always saying at her fights, you know, that my dad's here with me and he can see this. Well, you know, I don't believe that. I don't believe in that kind of thing. But I understand that this, is this, this sort of thing can drive some people, and it clearly does have an effect on her. So um, I'm really not for uh, religion or mysticism or, or believing in the afterlife, but here is one uh, instance where clearly uh, it has helped her life and given us some pretty goddamn good entertainment.
So I can't, you can't really falter too much for that, huh? So, um, you know, Ty Cobb, a little different than Rousey. He uh, sucked. He was terrible at baseball. He was good at one thing. He could run. He was fast. But he couldn't hit. He couldn't feel, field. He was scrawny. He was really bad. And in his uh, amateur, you know, when, when he was playing amateur, he, had, he realized how poor he was at the sport compared to the, all these other guys, and he did everything he could, just tireless, tireless effort to make himself into a better player, um, doing the uh, training that only he was doing. You know, physical conditioning, weight training, um, this just wasn't done by baseball players. He had to do it. He had no choice. He is a right-handed, uh, he was, you know, he, was, he is, well, he was, he's dead now, obviously, uh, right-handed, and batted right-handed and figured, I'm so bad at hitting the ball, at least I'm fast. I'm going to switch to lefty, so I'm, you know, two and a, you know, two and a half feet closer to first base. That helped him a great deal, and he uh, pioneered a batting grip, which really, as far as I know, no one else has uh, really taken taken up on. But, um, you know, when you hold a baseball bat, normally you are, uh, if you're a right-handed batter, let's say, your uh, left hand will be at the bottom of the bat by the butt, and your right hand will be right on top. And you swing the bat. He would actually have his left hand about an inch up on the bat and his right hand another inch up above the left hand. So there was a gap of over an inch between his right and left hand, which he said enabled him to uh, precisely control where the ball would land. And if you look at his career statistics, it would highly suggest that this uh, it was highly effective. So while other players... Uh, and this and this got him good enough very quickly. All this hard work got him good enough to actually land a major league contract with the Detroit Tigers. Now, keep in mind, uh, Ty Cobb grew up in the Deep South, Georgia. He was born four years after the end of the Civil War. So a lot of people do, you know, they, you hear Ty Cobb. Everyone knows he was great. But nobody, you know, the, 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 uh, the focus immediately shifts to the fact that he was a racist or bigot, this and that. I don't give a pass for that kind of thing. I don't make excuses for racism. But you got to think, what if you were born in the heart of the Deep South four years after the end of the Civil War? Do you think that you would have much chance of not growing up to be a racist or, or Listen, I'm not making excuses, but it was a different time to be the to say the least. It wasn't a good time to be a Southerner, and he had an easy finger to point your an easy target to point your finger at. Anyway, um, later in life, he uh, changed. You know, this was uh, after his career as a baseball player, uh, but he, he created a fund to send underprivileged. Uh, under, under, underprivileged kids to college and most of the people who benefited from that were African American created a, a hospital I've actually visited the hospital because they have a, a Ty Cobb museum in it that still to this day provides um, relief care to people who can't afford it most of the beneficiaries of his philanthropy of his philanthropy have been uh, African-Americans. Of course, you don't hear that when people talk about Ty Cobb. You just hear about the instance where he clearly did 
exhibit extreme racism. And you know what? Those, those, those things did happen. Um, I don't know um, how useful it is to use profess uh, professional athletes as a, uh, as a, uh, some sort of a, I don't know what to call it, a role model for kids. You, you can look up to their achievements on the field or in the ring or wherever it is that they, they, they practice and they, and they compete. I don't know how relevant their, uh, their personal lives are. Look at their accomplishments for what they do. And towards that end, you know, you hear the same kind of uh, arguments against Rousey, that she's narcissistic, that she... Listen, man. The MMA isn't pro wrestling, but it's a second cousin, let's face it. All that stuff, all that hype, it sells tickets, sells pay-per-views, you know? You gotta do it. So, I mean, when you look at, when you look at Cobb's achievements that just aren't talked about enough these days in, in, in baseball... What he was able to do with so little, um, the best, his batting average over, I believe, 23 years, his batting average over 23 years was 367. That is just an incredible number, 367. When do you ever hear of a batter, of a baseball player today in their prime hitting 350? I mean, that's shit, somebody hits 350? In a, in a one season, you better believe that, that that's the one who's winning the batting title. He batted 367 over 23 years. And this is back when, when he was playing. They would only use one ball for the entire game. By the end of that game, that ball was so beat to shit, a pitcher could make that ball move any way they wanted. You know, because of the ir irregularities in the ball. Uh, creating weird air currents around it. They, there was all kinds of junk pictures, and spitballs were legal. You know, you didn't have to fuck up. You didn't have to rough up the ball. You could. You were allowed to. But the ball just got fucked up for just from getting played with for nine innings. So it was hard to hit back then. He managed to hit 367. Um, another achievement that is just, and nobody's going to do that. If you're a casual fan of baseball, you have probably never seen a player steal home. And by that, I mean standing on third base. In order to steal home, what, what you have to do, you have to understand, a pitcher can throw a baseball 60 feet, 6 inches, much faster than a runner can run 90 feet. It's pretty, I mean, that's pretty simple to understand. The pitcher throws the ball. It's got to go 60 feet, 6 inches. The pitcher can throw a ball 90 miles an hour. You got somebody standing on third base. He's got 90 feet to get to home. It's almost, um, and that's why you, you've probably never seen it. Um, how can you do that? How could you possibly outrun a baseball? Well, obviously you can lead if you are facing a left-handed pitcher. He cannot see you uh, get a jump on it. So, listen, it's not impossible, but this is something that you see maybe once a year. So there, maybe there'll be a season to go by that you'll never, you won't see anybody steal home. I don't think anyone has stolen home this season, which is uh, more than half over. I, uh, I tend to notice when that happens because it's my favorite thing in the world in baseball. Ty Cobb stole home 54 times. 
Most baseball, even Ricky Henderson, I don't have his stats open. If, if, if Ricky Henderson, who was way faster than Cobb, if he stole, if he stole home more than more than a half a dozen times, I'd really be surprised. Someone look that up for me. If you don't mind, I'm actually interested. I'd like to know. Fifty-four times. One of the times he was forty years old. A forty-year-old man stealing home. You will never ever see that again. And you will certainly not see any baseball player steal home more than ten times in their whole career. That even is a long shot. You get real good odds from Vegas on that one. He was just really fucking smart. He figured out a way to do it. And, I mean, everyone knows. There was this one time, one of my favorite Ty, Ty Cobb moments was he um, bunted. You, you can't steal first base. It's impossible. It is not allowed by the rules. Um, but he uh, bunted to get on first base. And then he told the second baseman, who I believe was uh, Honus Wagner, he said, hey, uh, he called him a derogatory uh, term for German. He called him Krauthead, I think. Hey, Krauthead, I'm taking second base on the next pitch. Sure enough, next pitch, he stole second. Safe. Told the third baseman, next pitch, I'm taking third. Did it. And now he's on third base. There have been, first pitch, he bumps. He's on first base. Second pitch, he's on third base. He's on second base. Third pitch, he's on third base. Fourth pitch, he tells the catcher. He says, I'm stealing home. They have every... They have, they should have every inclination to believe him, and he did it. He went around the bases on four pitches. That's never been done before in baseball. It's an incredible feat. It's you, you will never see these things in baseball anymore, because just like there will never be another round of Rousey, there will never, ever, ever be another Ty Cobb. There will never be a baseball player. That's right. And he didn't even hit for power. He, he wasn't even a home run hitter. He just got on base and caused hell. Listen, I am uh I'm not a small ball guy. I don't I don't I don't agree with the small ball approach to uh, playing baseball. I think you should walk, hit for power. Yeah, get on base, but don't steal base, you know. There are exceptions, you know, guys like Ricky Henderson who at a certain point like a 95% chance he could steal second base. Those players aren't really around anymore. But what he did Man, oh, Shevitz. He was a terror, an absolute terror on the base path. Um, there's not much you can see. There's like two videos of Ty Cobb actually playing baseball that, uh, that can be found. But uh, listen, I could point you, if you're, if you're interested, I can point you to many um, biographies. I've, I've, read, uh, I've read too many books to count on Ty Cobb. If you're interested in learning more about the most amazing, dynamic, and um, not talented, actually, just hardworking baseball player to ever live, I can point you in the right direction if you're interested in that kind of thing. Clickbangradio at gmail.com. I just wanted to bring it up a, a little bit, you know, just to single out, um, I don't know, achievement. Just raw grit. And he pulled himself up from, from hardly any ability to the base the, to the best baseball player to ever live. Um, I don't really know how much Ronda Rousey had in terms of the tools uh, of her body. It's, it seems like they're working quite well, but God knows she's been slaving for. That's not the right word. She's been working real hard for the better part of uh, fifteen years, mostly not getting paid anything 
in judo to get where she was today. And if there was, if it wasn't for something like UFC, there would be no opportunity for her to take those skills and put and put them into anything profitable, marketable, whatever. I don't know. That's America, baby. I love America. I love Ronda Rousey, and I love Ty Cobb. 